0: Hi and welcome to another episode of Startup Stories, where I interview the best and brightest startup founders and experts, so you can be ahead of the curve with your own startup venture. Before I jump into this week's episode, I wanted to take a moment to share one of the challenges many entrepreneurs in Switzerland, including me, face when building up a team of qualified and trustful people. When you've built your first prototype or MVP and are ready to go all in on your idea, maybe you even receive some money from family, friends, or first investors. When you get to that moment, when you need someone to focus on the technical side of your startup, for example, you'll quickly realize that finding good software developers, for example, that are willing to sacrifice their high salaries to join you in your more risky adventure is going to be quite a challenge, especially in Switzerland. And why is that? That's because you're competing with big tech companies that have deep pockets and are willing to pay good developers a ton of money for their work. So what can you do about that? One way I found to get around this is to broaden your perspective and look for people elsewhere. For example, in Lisbon. Lisbon has been called the European Silicon Valley for good reasons. Forbes magazine says it is fast becoming a creative and tech startup hub helped with accelerator funding, tech incubators, and newly refurbished co-working spaces popping up all over the city. One company that I've come across and that I'm sharing with you without getting paid for it is Helping Startup set up their remote team in Lisbon, and it's called Lisbon Tech Guide. They brand themselves as your partner to support you find and manage your team in Portugal. They cover everything you need from recruitment, company incorporation, budget planning, accounting, human resources management, tax advisory, co-working spaces, fiduciary topics, team building events, and more. And you can get a free 30 minutes consultation call by visiting their website, lisbontechguide.com to answer all your questions about setting up your team in Lisbon. Check them out and start building your remote team today. All right, let's get back to the show. This episode brings us together with Sarah Maria Nord, founder of SnortMate, a startup that focuses on sophisticated ladies' business fashion. In this episode, we started off by exploring the very beginnings of Snortmade, how Sarah and her team tested the market needs for her product, the first steps they took to launch the company, and how they got their first customers. We then dove deeper into how they were planning to create demand for their brand in such a competitive environment, and what some of her low points were during her journey. Having Sarah on the show was a delight and I'm excited to share this conversation with all of you today. Enjoy So let's go Sarah,
1: thank you so much for joining the podcast
2: Thanks for having me Daniel
1: i've been uh, I've been following sometimes more actively sometimes less actively your story. Uh, we met during an incubator program in 2016. That's right. And yeah. you were already working on Snortmate. So, I'm really excited to talk to you today because that is yeah, around 3 years ago and you're still going strong. So, I'm really excited to hear about your story and maybe we can start with you sharing a little bit about yourself and a little bit uh, about the the startup you're continuing to to work on. What's the problem that you're solving and Maybe what's your one sentence pitch if we can do that in like one or two minutes?
2: Okay, great, sure, with great pleasure. So my name is Sarah. I'm originally from Germany, from Berlin. Um, I studied business administration in St. Gallen, and actually, there was studying business administration came out of my personal conviction or my personal pleasure for entrepreneurship itself. So like founding my own company was kind of a logical step for or during or after my studies. Um, what are we doing at Snortmate? You probably all know like the configurator where you can configure your own car like used by Porsche or like a bit more recent or a bit newer further development is the car, uh, the car, sorry, the shoe configurator, for example, by Adidas or Nike ID. And that's actually what we transfer from a conceptual perspective to fashion in detail to ladies' business wear. Why especially to ladies' business wear? Because for women, it's really hard in most cases to find appropriate business wear that fits dress codes, that's professional, that's functional, that's fitting really well and that still reflects their femininity there individually and that makes them really look elegant and look just good and confident. So with our configurator, and this has been our latest development, um, the customer has the chance to configure her own dress in a modularized building block system. Means that she can choose from different colors of fabrics from different kinds of fabrics. From different um, design details, for example, how long should the sleeve be, how does the collar look like, what about the skirt length, etc. And through this guided process in this configurator, she can co design with us her perfect dress or blouse and later on jackets as well. In the next step, after the design has been completed, the customer has the chance to have this all made to measure as well as she w- wishes to. And therefore, we work together with a different startup. They have been developing a technology which enables one to determine your body measurements out of two smartphone photos, meaning that the customer can just take two photos of herself from the front and one from the side with her webcam or iPhone camera, whatever. And based on these two photos and her body height in a numerical number, we can determine her body measurements, and um, offer to her a dress, blouse, whatever, which is really made to measure and precisely and perfectly really fits her body proportions. That's, in that, a nutshell, what we're actually doing.
1: <laughs> that sounds really clear to me. It's, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I didn't know about that uh, that problem for, for women in, in business.
2: I mean, it, it's really hard because for men, dress codes are quite fixed. And they're not only fixed, they're broadly accepted. For men, it's perfectly fine to have an assortment of different suits. They might vary tiny little bit, different colors, different fabric types, whatever. But the main concept of how a professional man looks like is the suit is a shirt, tie, yeah. whatever, fixed. But for yeah. women, it's quite complicated to go this or to find this very small, tight path between looking elegant, looking feminine, kind of reflecting her own individuality and still being perceived as highly professional in a business world where dress codes are embassed by like male standards so to speak.
1: So this is a long a long story. I mean 2016 to 2019. That's a lot yeah. of work. If we can start at the beginning, what were the first steps you took when you when you had the idea and how did you test that there were people with a need for
2: that? Yeah, well, honestly speaking, during these three years, I mean, like the entire business co- ch- concept that changed a lot. There was like a 180 degree turn in terms of business model, what we're offering, not that much about the customer target group because we were quite sure about really targeting business wear, and that's uh, business women and that's what we're really into because we, we come from that side. But the concept or the customer promise we are giving to our to our customers that has changed a lot so how, how
1: was that how was that in the beginning
2: yeah right so in in 2016 we started with a ready-to-wear collection so our starting point was we we've seen that there is really a need at the market that it's really hard for women to find appropriate business where that the offers the market offers one they are not that variable they're not that individual they're kind of boring I mean like honestly speaking if you go to a store and you have something in mind you you really want to buy it for your next meeting conference whatever it can really suck I mean like it can be so disappointing going to a store searching for it then you find something but it does just not fit your dress code because like the skirt is too short or The material is of inferior quality, whatever. There are so many reasons that play into that topic. So Mm -hmm. what we wanted to do is to offer premium business wear to women. And that was combined with this approach of sustainability. Because for me personally, that's the thing that really matters to me. I think it's really sad because no matter where you go to buy clothing, you actually never know for sure where all this stuff comes from. And yeah. the thing is that this is actually not dependent on the price segment, meaning that even if you if you go for buying a dress by a brand like, say, the Hugo Boss Woman, and it may cost you up to 600 euros, Swiss francs, dollars, whatever, you will never actually know where this comes from. Has there been child labor involved? What about wages? What about social security of the workers, of the sewers? And this is really a thing that, For me personally, that matters a lot. And that was for sure one one personal motivation point to say, okay, we have to change something and how can we do that? I mean, like we have to to search for alternatives. So the first step in our startup business development was to say, okay, we need business wear and we need to have it sustainable. So we developed collections ready-to-wear business wear, like very clean pieces, dresses, jackets, blouses, tunics for women in business life and all them made in Germany
1: how did you how did you I mean that sounds fairly easy if you just like when you say it like that but yeah (laughs) I mean there's a lot of work going into designing one one piece of clothes um how did you how did you manage to do that I mean first of all design it get a design or I mean it's it's hard to design a piece of clothing and then produce it and then source the materials you know everything in a nutshell how did you do that
2: oh definitely i mean like that's a lot of work and even if you're only talking about like 20 different pieces or 20 different items i mean like there's so much standing behind it and in, in fashion business cycles you start developing a new collection sometimes one and a half years before you actually kind of release the collection so I mean, like my business colleague, um, she helped a lot because initially I founded that company on my own, but several months later, my um, business colleague Susanne, she joined uh, our company. And me coming from the business or the pure business administration perspective, that would, would have never been sufficient to develop a collection. I mean, like style and knowing what looks good and aesthetics, that's not that much about study or about learning and, and hard skills. It's more about uh, personal development, I think, or just just having an understanding about what looks good. But mm-hmm. to develop a, a really good collection, there is so much more that goes into that. And this is the point where where designer contributed a lot and really pushed this thing forward because like she she studied fashion design and pattern making and has been working in the industry for years, and she's like really the expert who brings in or brought in at that state of of development all the knowledge about pattern making, about um, having a red line in a collection, about anticipating trends, about sourcing fabrics, everything. I mean, like we went to fabric fairs together and sometimes it was like, you really, you really get to get to know this uh, this difference in experience because I was, oh, okay, this fabric looks so good. Let's let's take it. Like let's have a sample order. And she was like, oh, never, never, ever go for something like that. And then she chose something completely different. I was like, ah, oh, this looks quite boring, or what? And finally, in the end, I mean, like her choices have, in most of the cases, been just better than mine. <laughs> in terms of fabrics and how to uh, how to manufacture and work for them and i mean like this is a collection for sure is this has a business administration component in terms of how to market it this has a component in terms of style and aesthetics and how you perceive or what looking good means for you but there is a huge technical component behind it as well and here i'm so really thankful that we too like we work together very closely and Every one of us brought in, especially exactly those experiences and that kind of knowledge that was really needed at that point.
1: I'm, I'm curious um, because in other types of startups, not in fashion, it's it's very important. Or you 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 get the recommendation: Hey, go find out who your perfect target customer is before you you start building anything. You know, go find out who has the problem that you're trying to solve and get enough of these people together and really you know, get to understand their problem, how is that with fashion? Did you do that? You know, did you do a bunch of interviews, uh, you know, confirming that problem of um, that there is not enough choice or high quality choice in in business wear for women? Or how how did that process go uh, for you? Because I understand that in fashion, it's also very creative, you know, it's very creative product. Um, So it really also depends on on uh, the creative people in the team, you know, your your team member you mentioned. So I'm, I'm trying to understand how, how that worked out for you. How, how did you do it in the beginning?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, in fashion, it's 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 kind of different. You're, you're right because like it has a lot of to do with creativity and with bringing new things to the market. And for example, if you if you have a look at style forker cars that might happen in two years, you will never ever think that someone will walk around like this. I can still remember because like uh, before, for example, those fur slippers got really popular. I was like, okay, honestly speaking, even if like Gucci will release fur slippers, no one ever will walk around with this kind of shoes. But what happened, I mean, like two years later, there was that on Vogue in the community. And this is kind of fashion, this, tiny path between predictability and happenings that are not predictable at all um however in terms of business where it's slightly different because it's more i mean like market analysis are is a bit easier what we are doing is we are striving to produce timeless pieces and to establish a kind of design and a kind of Style in our collections, which is really timeless, which can be worn today and in twenty years as well, because it's still chic and elegant. And this is one characteristic that that was really particular prominent in business wear, because business wear, for sure, there are style cycles and trends going up and down, just like in in the usual fashion segment. But it's not that style dependent, and that's what we, by the way, don't want to be because. We really strive at being a, a fashion partner for our customers that still identifies dresses and, uh, sorry, dresses, <laughs> trends, etc. but is kind of reliable in terms of that we say, okay, our dresses that can be worn today and they're classy today, but they will be still classy tomorrow in two weeks, in three months, or maybe in, in four years, whatever.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that matches also your your aim to be more sustainable. Perfect I mean, fashion right. yeah. due to its short cycles is, is highly unsustainable in general. Right. So having timeless pieces really helps.
2: Right. And I mean like this is this is kind of the this this question about short fashion or slow fashion, is it only about quality? Is it only about how how long the, how you how long physically you promote for? From a technical perspective you can wear items no it's not it's that much about design if you've got designs that are nice today but ugly tomorrow even though if like the kind of production in in terms of quality the the quality in terms of in terms of production is perfect you will not just not wear them because of their design which is not more on vogue today Uh, and coming back to that to that demand perspective i mean like we did interviews extensively with uh, potential customers and customer groups and whatever whatever you do in, in your market research but this initial feeling of hey there is a, an urgent market need that came from our own experiences
1: yeah. yeah, which is often a good thing if you can scratch your own itch right and, yeah. and you are part of the of the target group um, talking of, of, of customers how did you Get your first customers
2: um, well that I would say like that depends on I mean like when we were still talking about this 2016 stadium i mean, like in 2016 we started developing our collections which was ready to wear as I already I told you about and then later on we went to retail fashion order fairs because we were convinced that okay we are here in a very high price segment our customers, are willing to uh, to pay high prices made in Germany that's a completely different cost uh, structure so that was just kind of a logical step and then we we've been analyzing okay where do our customers buy their clothes and it became clear to us that most of them buy their clothes in retail stores well from the, today we know why do they buy them in retail stores because online it's far it's far harder to find these uh, the, the items they are searching for and you have no like not that point in your hand where you can reassure the quality but we were however at that point in time convinced okay our customers buy premium business clothing in retail stores so we went to order fairs and i mean like order fairs for retail uh, stores they're half a year every season uh, we went there in germany to to the biggest in the um in the middle european countries meaning like germany switzerland austria the netherlands um and like i guess like poland some surrounding countries mm. and we presented our collection there there was like the premium order if you some of you are a bit deeper into that topic um and uh, um, supreme in dusseldorf at munich and there we we just presented our brand but honestly speaking it's so hard as a fashion brand to get into that retail into that retail segment because it takes you at least three to four seasons until you're taken seriously by anyone because most of the buyers they're just there checking that and I mean like I can somehow understand that because if you're buying stuff for Loden Fry in Munich or Breuninger or or Let It Be Globus you want to kind of reassure that this brand is serious that you can trust this brand that there is a red line in the collection and you're not ordering something today which will be completely different tomorrow. So it somehow makes sense. But as a kind of a newcomer in the market, it's really, really hard. And another another thing that really kind of bothered us a lot is that I mean like the whole retail sector in fashion is complaining about profitability going down, about I mean, like customers running away and buying online. And now, I mean, like we can really understand why this is actually happening, because there's a huge lack of innovativeness
1: from part of, uh, of
2: from the, the traditional companies, yeah. yeah, retail stores. So even at that point, we had some crazy ideas about like, OK, maybe something with tech stuff or just give out the customers an iPad or the shop assistant an iPad to show the customers how production processes work like and to to tell them a bit about a special fabrics but they were really so unwilling to take up any of these ideas I mean mm. like that was really disappointing.
1: So so you went there uh, and I assume the first few seasons nobody bought from you um, because you just said <laughs> they had <have> to take these <laughs> first
2: I mean, like nobody, not that hard. We were in three boutiques, I guess, in Germany and even at Globus in St. Gallen here in, in Switzerland for some time. Oh, nice. Yeah. But then we decided to um, to take that back and not to go into retail anymore.
1: Yeah. Why, why is that?
2: Um, because we were really kind of disappointed about this retail experience. I mean, like we we think that we are delivering to our customers more than just a piece of fashion or then a dress, which is just another one in a a line of racks or clothes in a store. I mean, like we want to deliver real value in terms of quality, in terms of that our customer knows where this comes from. And then most of the times, this kind of really customer interaction is just not possible in retail if shop assistants or shop owners are not that willing to dive that deep into the topic and not, I mean like breaking it down, they are not that enthusiastic about the brand in most of the cases we are as the producers themselves. Yeah. Um, so we decided that actually we wanted to be in closer contact with our customers than was possible through retail. So what we did is we, uh, we decided to go online, in an online store only. But this was or is more a, a temporary solution because that was actually the start of a new searching phase. So we started that online store, but we're quite sure at this moment already that this could not be the final stage because this usual online store is still a bit like boring or did mm-hmm. not matches our ambitions at that point. Um, so what was really nice is, is that at that point, several or more and more customers came back to us asking for made-to-measure clothing. So Mm -hmm. what they actually did is they asked, okay, you've got this dress in your collection online, it's ready to wear. I could have it in 34 to 46, whatever, but could it be possible to have it not in a standard size but made only for me and my body measurements? And I mean, like that was the point when we started, okay, hmm, we've been thinking about this bespoke tailoring approach from this and that time but that was really a call for action and then we started searching for solutions how to realize this made to measure and even customized approach then we found a developer who developed the shoe configurator for adidas and we are so happy to collaborate with him today for our fashion configurator yeah that was like the the starting point yeah, I wanna come
1: back to the personal fashion configurator a bit later, because that's very, very exciting and something I haven't uh seen. Well, I have seen it in the US, but not in Europe actually. So that's very exciting. I, I'm I'm still curious about the so the trade-off that you did, trading our uh reach when you were in the retailers, you you, you probably had more reach, uh, I would guess, but uh your customer interaction was was not that uh not, not as you wanted, uh, and then going to the online shop. My thought or my question is, how did you manage to create demand or how are you planning to create demand for your brand? Um, we had someone else on the on the podcast before who also started a, a brand, a fashion brand, mm-hmm. uh, with cotton from Pima in, in Peru. Oh, cool. It's a very special soft yeah. cotton. Uh, and I got... Two sweaters from him, and they're so so comfortable. Um, one, so so his startup doesn't exist anymore, and and well, while okay. he shared with us that his mistake was, you know, completely forgetting about creating demand about the sales and marketing side. So I'm really curious, you know, in, I, I guess in fashion that's really really important, the brand yeah. that you have, and and creating demand for your brand. How how are your plans to to do that in the future?
2: Yeah. I mean like thanks for asking that questions because that's a highly critical point especially in the fashion segment which is a highly consolidated and competitive market marketing budgets are at extreme heights and it's really I mean like the pressures on so it's really hard to to gain new customers and to create attention etc so what comes to that is that there is no magic formula for the perfect, the right, the optimal market concept. So we're totally aware of that. So what we're doing is we are, for our configurator, we decided to start from kind of a marketing, let's call it like point zero. So we're starting with an entire bunch of different marketing concepts, of course, selected ones. I mean, like one component, PR, traditional marketing and print, social media, all those channels, selected subcomponents, but starting with a kind of very broad marketing mix. Because starting with a very broad marketing mix, because then we really have to, to kind of feel the pulse of the market, to dive deeper and to enforce especially those instruments that bring back the best results and the most sales and the most attention Etc. And this is like very promising because, like, our customer group is not a typical customer who goes for shopping every Saturday and then she, she buys like three bags of, of clothing and runs home, and next Saturday, same procedure again. So, the shopping behavior of business women is slightly different. And business women go for shopping most times, sometimes to reward themselves sometimes because they're searching for some in their leisure time just, just to have some fun. But most of them really go and search for clothes because they need them and they have in their mind what they actually want. So we need to address our customers at a point where we really match our, so to speak, marketing message with their interests. I mean like therefore we have got these traditional marketing channels the whole bunch of it and we work together or we're going to work together when starting with the configurator with styling consultants meaning that they go to customers they've got their stock of customers if you can say that so and um, really consult them and help them in 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 finding and creating their own um, their own style and design which is which is still really really important in that in that segment of the market, we're going to cooperate with bigger companies in terms of that employees have benefits at us that we, if they want, we can send a tailor, for example, in the in the lunch break to have some to have some talk about style, and if someone is not sure about colors, which color might match her hair color or her tint, then we offer this kind of advice, yeah. and we uh, we cooperate with. I mean, like different networks where business women like to spend time. Events is a very big issue for us. And events not in terms of, I mean, like we've got a a catwalk, we've got two models and then like the big call for action by our clothes. It's more a very trustful or building very trustful relationships with our customers in terms of we are their style advisors and we are their Partners when it comes to their perfect outfit yeah. and later on um, Word of mouth will be or is already a very very strong marketing channel if you've got customers who are really convinced of your brand of Snortmate, they're really willing to to come back and to buy again to to tell their friends Okay, there is this cool provider and they're they've just tailored a dress which out of a sudden really fits my body measurements and really looks how I would like it to look, that's really important.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah I'm sure, I mean, that's the that's the advantage of not selling in retail, right? you really having the, the direct contact to the consumer and you can really add an amazing service and value and, and then word of mouth, of course, is is much, much better. If I may ask, how much are you selling more or less right now and how did that develop you know since the start
2: um well honestly speaking at the moment from today we have closed our traditional online store Mm -hmm. because we are really focusing on this configurator and we're that much into the final phase of prototyping and developing so we decided really to have a clear cut to have, like at the moment, it's gonna be three months without a store. So you can't order clothes at the moment anymore from the store. We are mm-hmm. only processing orders by customers who send requests by mail or contact us directly and ask, yeah, okay, I, I've seen your stores closed, but could you do this or that for us? So that's our, our point of today. But our customers, they are loyal, the one 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 part of our customer group but for sure we know that starting with the configurator we are addressing a completely different mindset of customers again that's so that's true.
1: going to be really a fresh start as you said in the, yeah right in the beginning
2: i mean like not a complete fresh start because no. for sure some of our customers will will even be fans of the configurator after they've been they've, they've had some good experiences with the ready to wear collection. but from our perspective, we say, okay, some will migrate, but most of them will be like customers with a different mindset.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, as I mentioned in the beginning, i'm I'm really impressed by the persistence that you have shown in uh, in working on SnortMaid. Uh, it's been three years now since i since I first met you. In, yeah. that, in that incubator and I was I was really thinking when preparing this interview you know different aspects of you know how did you make it just financially uh, possible to to go for so long on that project how did you you know what were your emotional low points and and how did you get out of them maybe we can go to the to, for me you know most important part is the emotional low points um, because I'm sure there were some, right?
2: Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from a financial side, um, we have been financed to this up to this point by family and friends, by private capital, and now at the moment, because like this all this tech developments, that like is quite a big, big, big investment, and um, we are in financing round for sure. Yeah. With okay. PCs and uh, business angels. Right? All right. Um, and from an emotional perspective, I mean, that's something every entrepreneur should be aware of. Uh, founding a company is a real emotional roller coaster. So you wake up in the morning, everything is great. Then, like, you got a mail at 11 a.m. and you think, like, oh my gosh, that's so horrible. Then there's another mail at 12, and you think, like, oh, everything that's never gonna work everything will be in ruins or is already in ruins and i just just have met uh, have mentioned that like oh, oh my goodness then like okay in the afternoons oh quite good you've got a meeting everything went, went well cool then there's another mail in the evening or you've got a call and it's so great again you're super motivated i'm mean, like breaking it down you have to be really convinced of your idea of your business model of your vision of the reasons why you're doing all this and this is what gives your your spirit to persist all the i mean like all the things that that won't work that well because there are always things that disappoint you that really bring you down that really kind of destroy your day or you're weak and you feel like ah damn yeah. Yeah. but on the other side it's It's really rewarding I mean like there are so many things that that really go well and that make you feel so good and you're there's progress and then things go good and you're you're so happy about your achievements and you're about your team and whatever yeah
1: just this thought popped up you said you need need to be really really convinced about your idea
2: definitely yeah
1: I, I think that's definitely true however I it shouldn't be misunderstood that you need to have you know all of the amount of being convinced at the beginning because as you said there's wins on the way as well it's a roller coaster so yes there's downs but there's ups as well so you need that that commitment or being really convinced at the beginning to start but then on the way you have situations where you get more and more convinced that this is the right path right you you get that meeting that works really well someone tells you i think you're onto something you know And then you, of course, you have those emails that really pull you down. But I think on the way, you, you kind of, you have experiences that improve that self belief, you know, in your startup and your idea. And so that really helps. So you, you shouldn't know in the beginning how you, how you'll do it, you know, in three years and and be convinced that you can change the whole world and everything's going to be fine. For me, it's kind of like, yeah, be very convinced and start. And then you'll have Definitely. ups and downs and the ups will help you with the downs.
2: Yeah. And I mean, there's this this approach with lean startup that even though analysis and science and whatever and having market studies is really important, there's nothing that's more helpful than just doing something and trying out something. I mean, like trying to keep resources as low as possible because in case there there is a loss event, you're not like in ruins, but just try to try it out to make experiences. If you're convinced, try to prove your ideas or even to disprove them because sometimes your learnings are that valuable that your next idea will be far better and will be the promising one. Right. And I mean, even, even when being so convinced, you should never get out of sight, a healthy balance of reflecting and asking yourself or asking your team asking your customers whether what you believe in is what they believe in too mm. so you have always kind of keep a good level of being realistic yeah yeah but that, you, but i mean like this, this this realism should not touch your intrinsic motivation
1: do you do you happen to have or remember one of those low points in in that in those 3 years and how you got out of them.
2: Yeah, way. I mean, like, I mean, like, one definite low point was when we realized that this retail thing is not going to work. That was really, or it's not, got, or it's not what we actually want. Um, because, I mean, like, going on retail fairs and producing retail collections, stuff like that, that's really, that's really capital intensive. I mean, like, it costs you a lot. Having having a booth that's a kind of a fair is like about five thousand euros for wow. four days. Yeah. I mean, like that's that's really huge. That hurts a lot if you're a startup. And then if you have if have to say to yourself, okay, I mean, like we've been believing in this concept, but it's not gonna work, or it's not what we are really are going for. That's really a point where you feel like devastated.
1: Yeah. What did you do to get out of that?
2: um you ask yourself again what are your core competencies and what does your startup stand for for sure you you always think about okay if retail is not working what else shut it down or if you say okay we are a startup and we produce for retail only then a clear consequence is if retail is not what we actually is not or does not fit our strategy then I mean like the consequence would be devastating but if you say no we are not like in retail actually we go for our customers we go for business wear we go for elegance and aesthetics and individuality in business dress codes then this is a completely different perspective and you just have to to come back to your basic motives, to your basic convictions, to the reasons why you're doing it and what you believe in, and then just have another look at the market and try to figure out opportunities which you have not been thinking about that much before. And just see this disapproval of strategy one as kind of an pointing you the direction to an alternative strategy.
1: I really like... Uh... The advice section of 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 the interviews that I that I get to to have every time, and since we're already in 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 it, uh, basically, okay. <laughs> I wanted to ask you um, a few questions uh, that go into the same direction uh, and based on your own experience, of course. Uh, what is what's something you did badly while working on your startup?
2: Definitely spending too much time on irrelevant tasks. Spending too much time on irrelevant tasks in terms of, you are at that moment super convinced that this is so important for your success that this is like the, this is the way to go and you have to be there and do this and that. But from a look or from a perspective later on, looking back, it was just like one week, two weeks, months of wasted wasted time, so to speak. For example, again. Retail, going to stores, presenting collection, face-to-face, there was like, I mean, like the, the the rate of return, so to speak, on these efforts, they were so low. Yeah.
1: How would you, How would you You know, as you said, it's really difficult while you're doing those things to understand if they're, you know, if they're worth it or not. Uh, yeah. How, how would you retrospectively, you know, what would you say to a founder? as a piece of advice to kind of identify these situations better?
2: I mean, like, this is really hard because it's, it's, (laughs) it's this huge question about experiences in, in almost every, every area of life. For sure, a lot of unnecessary experience and unnecessary waste of time you can prevent by consulting experts having interviews with them, really having good mentors to tell you which way to go. And this is really helpful because it can prevent you from major as well as minor strategic errors, hmm. right? Yeah. But this way or the other, for sure eliminating all of these kind of just tryouts that lead to nothing, not even a, a good learning, you can hardly eliminate all of them.
1: It's uh, just popping up in my mind. Do you think there's there's situations where you can learn nothing from it, or can I you? Mean, I mean, you could at least learn. We're not doing that anymore, because
2: <laughs> uh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like if something doesn't work out how you wished it to to work out, otherwise, or you, how you planned it. I mean, you can learn different things. You can learn. Okay, this has not worked out, but now I've got another insight into how this or that person thinks, and this really enables me to do things exactly in the way how they will really value it. So you can create a better product, you can create a better solution, you can offer a better service because now you understand your customer just in the optimal or the best way possible. But I mean, like for sure, a situation with failure or a zero line of experience, it's hard to say. Sometimes the, the learning compared to the input you've given into that situation is just not at a level that I would call, ah, okay, it was a failure, but it was a good learning. Yeah. I mean, like, if the only learning you take out of a situation is, that's not the way how it works, if your initial investment in terms of money, time, thoughts, power, whatever, was really high, I mean, like... Yeah. This learning is not satisfying, yeah. at least from my perspective.
1: Yeah. Definitely, some learning investments are more expensive.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so we talked about one one thing you did badly. What what's one thing you did really well, and you would you know recommend other people to do as well?
2: Um, I think what I did really or what we did really well is constantly checking market trends and i mean okay market trends no really feeling the pulse of the market i think what was what would we did really well from a strategic perspective is recognizing at a very early point this urgent need of individualized and made to measure clothing mm. because if you're only checking the market okay there is nothing comparable like that available i mean comparable in terms of quality in terms of accuracy in terms of sustainability then you would never jump to these conclusions like okay maybe we should start a business in this segment Mm. yeah and i think this is something we did really well
1: yeah yeah how would you recommend people feel the pulse of the market in uh, in fashion if anyone would were to start some other fashion uh, company Mm.
2: this is actually really hard to say in general, because just as we've been talking about, the fashion market is a huge, it's a broad market with that many segments that kind of all work differently. I mean, like the suiting market and the business market is working differently than the sports market or the yeah. outdoor, outdoor wear market or leisure time where, right? Um, I mean, like, really try to think differently, even though so, this is even harder in arts than in traditional business yeah. industries yeah. and when you try to think differently just really try to check with the rational mind whether this makes sense and whether there is a market potential whether this is something which is really really helpful and really valuable because when when you just compare try to invent some kind of crazy new thing at the fashion market I mean like this is huge.
1: Okay. So we've covered so many topics um, in, in our interview. Is there any other topic that you know I haven't addressed that you would like to talk about uh, that you believe to be important for inspiring entrepreneurs before I close up with my last questions?
2: I think what is really inspiring for entrepreneurs is to really be aware of the reason you are doing this or your personal reason as an entrepreneur to found a company or as a team your common vision the thing that that brings you together the reason why you're really motivated on working on this startup i think this is this is really important and not only like oh okay i see a business case because like a business case is not an uh, for sure it is part of the intrinsic uh, motivation i would never deny that it's, i mean like that's that's crucial that's very important but there are reasons which are or have at least the same importance for example this vision of better business wear for women for us sustainability is really important even though if we don't communicate that like okay our clothing is super sustainable we could tell that but it's not what our customers actually want to hear in terms of their searching not for sustainable wear but in the first sense they're searching for individual made to measure highly professional like their perfect business outfit and the sustainability aspects from a marketing perspective is more kind of an add-on. Mm. But for us as a team, this is really important. And this is how we we are structuring our business operations about this, around this, yeah, this deeper value, which is really crucial for us. For example, we had um, we had negotiations with the VC firm and they We're willing to invest in our startup, but we had to break up these negotiations because one kind of the deal breaker was, they said, okay, yeah, to the investment, but only under the condition that you will produce at an external supplier somewhere in Asia. And we were like, okay, we know that production costs will go down dramatically if we produce in Asia, but this is not what we stand for, actually. Yeah. Because if we've got sub-suppliers and we have a good, huge network, we can never, ever guarantee at the level at at which we are today that production production conditions are that good, are under high social standards, that there is no child labor, that there is no wage dumping, as we can do today.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really, I really believe you know, knowing your values and your and your vision will extremely helpful in these types of situations Definitely. where you know it's not easy even for you I assume it was not easy to turn that deal down but it was way easier having these values behind you and defined um, to just say no we're, we're going to stick with our values sorry then you know if you don't have those you have maybe the venture capitalists offering you half a million dollars and oh, that's tough to to turn down if you don't have these values to to stand behind.
2: I mean, like, honestly speaking, this is horrible. It it makes your, if a thing like that becomes a deal breaker, you just sometimes you find yourself banging your head against the wall because it's like, you could have had that, but the only really big, I mean, like, for us, it's it's not only one, one thing. I mean, like, when producing clothing, it's quite a big issue, but it only depends on our value or our willingness to stick to responsible manufacturing and, a sustainable approach which does not go hand in hand with low wage unsocial production facilities run a plaza style somewhere in Bangladesh. Yeah. And if this becomes the deal breaker, it hurts a lot. Honestly. I mean like you you ask yourself, is this still reasonable to keep up that strong values? I mean like you can interpret it this or that way and we interpreted this in a way that for us, yes. These values are that important to make them become a deal breaker in the final sense. Um, But in the long run, I guess, exactly those values are the cornerstones of your success because they are the reasons you're really giving everything and you stick to your vision, to your purpose, and they are building your authenticity and your identity.
1: Yeah, and if you are building a, purpose-driven organization and not just, you know, a software startup. I mean, nothing against software startup, but not, <laughs> no. not like a, If you're not building a, a startup that's seen a market opportunity and, you know, you want to exit uh, in five years, um, if you're building a purpose-driven company, you know, thinking about the long-term is is super important. It's yeah. more important than thinking about the short-term. If that doesn't kill you before, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I've gone through all my questions. Thank you so much for, for answering them. We briefly covered the personal fashion configurator. Um, however, I still don't know, you know, when is it going to launch? Uh, when, in, are, when are people going to be able to use it? How is it going to work exactly?
2: In July. It's going to be launched in July this year
1: right yeah. and people can on the
2: 13th of july
1: the <laughs> 13th of july <laughs> right. all right be ready people like
2: this is the this is the official release in this podcast because like we fixed the date just uh two hours before in our meeting in our team meeting <laughs> yeah all right
1: um and so on uh on your website uh on our it? website right right snortmate.de right it is
2: dot com works as Home well works as right. well so
1: snortmate yeah. with dt.com very cool very cool and people can do that on the browser is there going to be an app at some point or
2: how um, does that work? we are developing or we are working on an app simultaneously that will be launched for sure in some time but um at on july the 13th it will be like the the, um, the web page or the online configurator mainly, which is web-optimized, so you can access this with your smartphone and it feels just like an app, but this like app icon that can be downloaded that will be released some months later. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Well, very cool. So,
2: it, it feels like an app, but it's like the icon is still missing, that's Yeah,
1: right. yeah. No, I know, those, I know that, I mean, you can do anything in the homepage almost now. Yeah, So perfect. I'm really looking forward to test it, I'm obviously not going to order uh because it's just for for women (laughs) and uh give um, us
2: a couple of years then we'll (laughs) we'll step into men's business as well i hope so i hope (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) we've had so many requests and friends asking oh when are you going to start to do this for men and we were always like oh okay at the beginning only for women but we have that in mind yeah
1: (laughs) awesome awesome thank you so much uh sarah for for joining and taking the time sharing your insights and your experiences with us and and with me. I I really, really appreciate it.
2: Okay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the great questions. And yeah, thanks for your time as well.
0: That was it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Startup Stories. Make sure to check out the show notes with additional links at nerdentrepreneurs.com. And if you like our podcast, leave a review on iTunes. See you on Monday.